Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Demartini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. Um, many of you have been, as, as, as some of you have sent me emails about, you've been glued to your television sets. And, you know, you're glued to your television sets to, to really be part of an unfolding that's happening in this country. Many of you are not. Um, but whether you are or you're not, the one thing for sure and Benny and I really touched upon this in the past couple of days, is there's an energy afoot. And it's an energy that some of you have shared with us in your emails, uh, in your phone calls to the office, uh, to the studios as well, to talk with us about the energy and your sense of it. But most of you are asking for what is it about the energy that's being brought forward? that has caused me to really rise up in a way I've not done before. But what is also weighing heavy on my heart? And how is it that we live in a time where we're seeing courageous acts of empowerment and the messages coming forth by some of the world's most renowned speakers, authors, teachers, uh, uh, spiritual leaders, are so profoundly relevant to our time that it's almost as if we have to take a double take. And that's what today's show is about. Uh, very special guest, Dina Miriam, joining us here today. Uh, Dina, I, I want to start out with this, if we could. That introduction comes from uh, our listeners who contact us. They come from people like you that are joining us here today. Also, um, when you sit down and you write the untold story, which we're going to talk about here in a minute, when you sat down and you wrote this, and then the process of writing it, and then the calling to write it, and then the release of it in a time, 2020, right? That's where we are mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. There's something that is like this perfect convergence. And I, let me ask you this question. Somehow, I wonder if you knew when you sat down and decided to bring this story forward. I wonder if you knew that you would be presenting it in a day and age that so really needed to hear this story. I'm curious. Well, you know, um, initially, and, and this happened with, the, the untold story of siege and also my first book journeys of time um i will i have the stuff is coming through me and yeah. it, it it it's i have to put it all down and see what it really says what's the message in it and then at a certain point i realized that it's not just a message for me 
and that it's that it's very relevant to what's happening in the world right now. So with the Sita book, yeah, you know, I'm working on it for the past two years, um, and I I realized. I mean, I had known this conceptually, but until I really got into the story, I didn't realize that when Sita appeared with Ram on Earth, it was also a time of transition from a higher age moving into an age of, of, of less spiritual consciousness, but more focus on the material world. You know, it was, it was an, uh, an evolutionary um, uh, juncture, really, when mm-hmm. humanity was, was beginning to develop itself into civilizations. And so it was kind of like at the opposite point. We've now reached the point where we've done that to the extreme, to the, to the point where we're almost destroyed the planet. The ecosystem yeah. is deeply imbalanced, so we can't keep going in this direction. So we've reached we've reached the end of it. We've reached the end of this road that was begun thousands of years ago. More and more and more physical development. So what is the? So it's another evolutionary leap that's needed—a shift in consciousness. So what is that shift in consciousness that we need to undergo? Looking back to what was before helped me a lot understand the road ahead. And mm. that's what, you know, my work, my work is informed by my writing, but also by my work uh, um, at the Global Peace Initiative of Women, where we gather spiritual practitioners and teachers um, and young visionaries in different parts of the world to see what's emerging to them. Mm-hmm. And what I hear from young people is, is really the, the, they're feeling the need to, to, to create a blueprint for a whole new way of living with the earth and living together. And that's what they're in the process of exploring. So I think, it, you know, it's, it's very important. Um, it's easy to get caught up in the details of what's happening in this moment. Yep. We have to step back and look with a longer lens and see the crisis that humanity is facing, which is an evolutionary crisis, a spiritual crisis, um, and, and, and try to, um, to, to, put, to see the potential and what, because there's guidance all around. That's the other thing in writing this book. I realized there's guidance all around. You know? Yes. Yeah. There, there are beings who, who are helping, whether we realize it or not. And the more consciously we can work with these guides, the more quickly we're going to be able to, to pull through this. Yeah. What I'm struck by is um, as I sat down and I got ready to talk with you and I thought about. Um, what we were about to talk about. You know, there are many parts in the book and the story, the way it unfolds, that I related to in my own life. But the other thing I related to, as I look closer at what you said yes to at a very young age, I was really struck by how the calling for each of us now is being flashed in front of us. It's almost as if we're staring into ourselves and asking ourselves the question, not only what is my why for, for today in the world we live in, but the what. What is my what? What am I going to do? In your case, you are, as, as, as we were talking about a few minutes ago, you're the founder and convener of the Global Peace Initiative of Women. You know, this is an organization that I believe, even though it has been in existence uh, for a while, it represents an energy, a life force that we are seeing uh, emerge. And I, I don't want to go back and give the Dalai Lama all the credit for his statement, but he did make a statement 
that women would more or less leave the way, that they would find the way. I just never thought it would be in the kind of chutzpah, as my friend would say, that I'm seeing. And I want to ask you about that from your own personal journey and from writing The Untold Story. And what is it about that journey that has changed you for this day? I, well, that, the writing of that book was transformative. Yeah. Um, as, as the, and it's, and it, you know, it's interesting because when I started my work 20 years ago, um, I, it began in the interfaith world, and I had never had any really intention to do that work in the interfaith world. But when I had the occasion to organize an interfaith event at the UN, I saw that there were no women there. And, mm -hmm. and, and um, so I began to question it. And for many years, subsequently, I found myself woman at these gatherings, or there'd be maybe one or two as a token. And it just seemed crazy to me. You know, it's like I couldn't understand it at all. And then when I began to put together my first book, Journey Through Time, I realized how many lifetimes I had had trying to find my voice as a woman, trying to, trying to um, kind of share what I knew and not having a voice uh, and, and being in these different situations. And then, and then finally finding a woman teacher. And, and, and that was so important to me. That was such an important moment in my past when I connected with the divine feminine energy. And so then it made total sense why I had left the interfaith world to create the Global Peace Initiative of Women, which is now balanced, because I believe very much in gender balance. It's balanced between men and women, but the energy is held by the women, which is why the name applies. And increasingly, I've been reflecting on this work of the Shakti, of the feminine energy. Yeah. Um, I'm working on a book now, which will be published later this year, called The Secret Work of Shakti. And it's another... Uh, going back in time uh, to look at, at one of the great women leaders. Um, and so I think that the that you can look at it at the outer field and you can look at it at the inner field. If you're looking at the outer field, women, I mean, we still argue whether women can be, is electable, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's the reason. Yeah, yeah. It's still a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> it, elected as president. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, you know, the latest conversation, which is daunting for those of you, don't even email me about what I'm about to say, just go look at the news, is, you know, the latest comment by a progressive candidate that, yeah. you know, said to a female candidate, hey, guess what? A woman can't win. Um, and so that is the world that we still live in. The other part of this that makes your, that makes your book and your work so important to me is I realized and I'm surrounded by a very eclectic and wide range age age difference team 20s 30 you know all the way up to 70 that's our team mm -hmm. men and women and what I'm struck by most is the day and age that I grew up in, and maybe you grew up in, and I have a funny feeling, close, right? Yeah, yeah. Probably, you know, we're yeah. close. I grew up in a day and age where I had to claw and fight for every right. Claw and fight for it. Absolutely. You know, battle conversations about the Women's Rights Amendment. Yeah. And, and about a month ago, I turned to a 30-something-year-old. <laughs> I'm telling you. This is, this is for real. And I said, what do you think 
about uh, and I think I was referencing Elizabeth Warren, but I can't be sure if it was Elizabeth Warren or Amy Klobuchar or I don't I don't know. Oh, or or maybe it was Kamala Harris. I don't know which one uh, or Marianne Williamson. But I said, what do you think about the comments that are being made now about the ERA and the fact that we are still now here uh, with the need with without passing? And so the woman turned to me very innocently and said, why would you want a gun law passed? And I said, wait a minute, E-R, okay. I said, that, that is, that's not a gun law. Uh, I said, that's N-N-R-A, N, right? Now, the, the rifle, the gun people. Yeah. And I said, no, this is E-R-A. And they, they the, she looked at me and she said, what in the bleep is that? And I said, and this is what has led me to start a whole new show. It's called Power Up Dr. Pat, and we're going to launch it in 2020. And it's going to be to educate and not put people down. And I looked at her and I said, do you have about 20 minutes? And I sat down with her and on our smartphone, I said, you know, we live in a time now where generations of women don't know what they have to lose because my generation in this day has not done enough to educate them. That's right. Yeah. And we take it for granted. We take it for granted. And when I was reading your book, I pulled many of the phrases in the book and I'm going to tell you they're out of context, but I want to talk about them from your perspective. Mm -hmm. The other thing, Dina, I, I would love for you to share is I don't know if you know one of our hosts, Sarah Main, who just released mm -mm. a book, Conscious Confidence. She has studied ancient Sanskrit all of her life. She has mm -hmm. taught it. She speaks it. And she has also schooled me on pronunciation. So when I got to a page in your book, may I read it? And, and then yeah. we can talk yeah. about it. When I got to a page in your book, and this this is, I just, I could stay in this book all day, but I know we got an interview. I know we're doing an interview here. Actually, I forgot we were doing an interview, but I'm back. I'm back, Dina. Um, and I got to the page where, you know, where Soma is relating to Sita's journey in Talanka. And I'm probably mispronouncing all of that, so you can help me out. No, it's right, Sita. Okay. Yeah. And, we're, and there's a conversation about mantras. And there's this conversation, and, you know, as the dialogue goes on, I'm on page 167. I, I'm just, I'm not going to hold you to it, but let me just go here for a minute. There's language that says this, and I'm telling you, it's as if I was reading it from the headlines today. And it says, another storm is brewing. You're looking up at the sky, but it's not the season. This is the third storm. We've always had it in 10 days time. Nature has been thrown into confusion. And then goes on to say she could not shake off her concern. But Sri Ram did his best to cheer Mata. He himself was not in the best of spirits as he could feel the negative forces surrounding them. But he did what he could to amuse her. At one point he looked up and saw a golden deer peering at them from a distance. Look there, Sita, he says, a golden deer, like we used to see. He goes on to say, we have not seen one like that since we've left. And they go on to talk about this. 
And I have to tell you how struck I was that in a moment, I wasn't sure if I was reading your book in an untold story was I, or I was talking to some of my friends about today's time. I would love for you to talk about the stories in this book and the ones that you see point to the relevance and the reason why you've created the Global Peace Initiative, why you've been standing up for world peace. I mean, the reasons why I started a positive talk radio network that everybody thought I was out of my mind. But isn't this really word for word relevant? Word for word. Yeah. It was happening at that time. And of course, there are different causes. Things manifest in different ways. But it's the same story that repeats itself. And there was a lot of abuse and negative energy coming from this place called Lanka. Yeah. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the king of Lanka had be- become very arrogant. He had become very powerful. Um, and uh, he was abusing people. And he had to be stopped. Uh, and he was cla- and, and all that negative energy was affecting the climate. They were going through climate change. Um, a, a lot of animals were suffering. He was, you know, he had powers, um, sorcery powers and things, draining lakes and, and things like that to punish to punish people who wouldn't submit to him. So you look today at our climate crisis, at our environmental uh, uh, de- uh, degradation. That's also caused by negative energies. It may not be sorcerers, or it may be, who knows, but it's definitely wrong actions. It's actions for greed at the expense of life. It's greed at the expense of life, money over people. We see it everywhere we look in our society. I mean, that's what's playing out in Washington now. It's money above people. And so, and so does, it, you know, does it matter that a million birds are dying because of, of the war or that we're destroying all the life in the ocean? because of greed mm-hmm. and that's what we're seeing well that was happening at that time too yeah um where where the where the energies the life forms were be suffering because of greed so she just saw that something had to be done about it and so she she knew that she had to go into the heart of the demon kingdom now this is a very uh, uh very foundational story in all of southeast asia mm. all the way from india to indonesia I mean, it's a story that's really a whole civilization is founded on, but it's told differently. And that's why I was compelled to tell it, because um, the way the story uh, comes down to us and has affected the psyche of so many people in that part of the world is that after Sita's kidnapped, whereas I say that was by her design. Yeah. And then when she's freed, Iran, he takes her back to Ayodhya, and then people start to uh, gossip. Oh, she's been a year in the in yeah. another land. Ram's got to banish her, and he banishes his pregnant wife. Now, he's supposed to be the ideal of dharma, righteous action. And so when I, I organized a conference on this last year, and the scholars said, well, we know that that last bit, that last uh, chapter, was written much later because the whole meter is different. It was an addition. Mm. The original story never had Ram banishing the divine feminine. So banishing Sita is banishing the feminine energy. So then my question is, why did society add that story? Why did they add that part of that last bit, which wasn't part of the original story? Do you have an answer for that? Yes. Okay. (laughs) I want to hear your answer. And then I'm going to give you my politically incorrect contemporary answer, but I would love to hear yours. 
Well, you know, when Sita was alive, it was pre-patriarchal. You know, 16 women sages were involving the Vedas. Of course, you don't learn that today, but that's what scholars know. Right. There, there were great women sages uh, who were as foundational as the male sages. But in the text, the way it's come down to us, you know, the texts were written much, much, much later. They're, they're called the, the, devoted, the devoted wife of so-and-so, of sage so-and-so the chaste and devoted wife. They're not called sages. They're called the chaste and devoted wife of sage so-and-so. Wow. So everything that's come down to us has been through the lens of a patriarchal age. Whereas if you can whip that lens away and see that this, there was a time when you know women were free to travel, women were educated, women taught, women wrote sacred texts, women were, were you know guiding society. That was the time in which Sita lived. And there was no banishment of Sita. And when I did this conference last year in India, the men kept, the women said, yes, yes, this is true. The men kept coming back to, well, he had to banish her for the sake of society. You know, he had to put his own needs second. And I thought to myself, you're saying then that, that the ideal of Dharma, it was right for him to do that. Mm -hmm. So, so it's, 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 it's so deep in the psyche. This, and of course, it's in the Western tradition too. Eve is the, is the cause for the fall of mankind, not yeah. Adam. Who says Eve was the one who ate the apple? That's the story that's come down to us. Sarah yeah. is responsible for sending Hagar out to the desert. Well, more likely it was it was Abraham who sent her out to have peace in his household. That's so, exactly right. <laughs> so all, all of these stories have come down to us, and it's so ingrained in our collective consciousness. And it takes work to undo it. And that was the reason for my writing this book. And I felt that you know, I've been like you through this whole period of women gaining more more voice and, and more position. But these deep psychological um, uh, patterns have not yet been, uh, 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 you know, cleansed. Yeah, eradicated, cleansed. Yeah, and the reason yeah. I ask you about it, because I knew that that was a large part of, well, I don't know if it's a large part. But in your book here, The Untold Story of Sita, an embarrassing tale for a time, the fact that this is an untold story was important for me. I remember getting the book um, uh, uh, in invitation across my desk. It came into Linda uh, from Sarah, I think. And, and we've been working with Sarah for like 16 years. And the book came in. And I remember getting the book. And, and, and I can't remember the day, but here's what was going on. It was a day where I started to look at the untold story uh, 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 that Hillary Clinton was telling. And I think it was in her book. And, and, and what I realized is no one wanted her to tell this story. I think out of any author on the planet that's ever written a book that people have read and bought, I don't ever remember having this, the least amount of coverage on it. And I thought, that, and here I am, and I'm looking at what you, and I'm looking at this, and I'm saying, well, wait a minute. This is true of our time now. This is yep. true of our time now. And as I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking about what you just said, I also am thinking about, how that consciousness, and, and when we come back for break, 
I would love for you to talk about it because it really does lead to another point in the book, which, which, gosh, we can't share the whole book. I wish we could. I wish literally you could just read the book. But what it points to for me, and this was my aha going through the book the second time. Here's what I thought. I thought, wait a minute. We're not physically banishing women. Like, we're not like, well, in some cases we really are. But in most cases in this country, let's just talk this country. In other countries, uh, we just shoot them in the head when they're on a bus because we think they're too progressive and wanting education for women. You know, in the case of Dr. Darvish's family, you ban them and you, you kill the women because the Baha'i faith really believes in educating women. Okay, so there's that. But here, oh, yeah. Yeah. what yeah. you're talking about, we are doing it verbally. That was my moment where I thought, yeah, why do I feel this story is relevant? I couldn't put my finger on it until I went back through the book and I said, we're doing it verbally. It is exactly what happened to Hillary Clinton in a lot of ways. It's and exactly psychologically. and psychologically. psychologically. It's exactly what I just experienced with Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Just one phrase that comes out, a woman cannot beat Donald Trump. That's that's banishing, right? In a that's way. Absolutely. It's diminishing. Yeah. It's diminishing. And when we come back, I want to talk about what the remedy is. And here's the remedy that I found. I'm going to read it. And when we come back, there's much more for you to share. So I'm, I'm reading about the education of, of Louv and Kush. I mm -hmm. think I'm saying that right. That's right. Right. CG's and I got to the place and I read this paragraph twice. And it's this. Mata smiled and shook her head. How many times has she explained this to him? Close your eyes, she instructed. Tapping them gently on their chest, she said to the boys, the celestial world is inside of you. See how beautiful it is. How many scriptures, how many Bible phrases, how many other you know, religious philosophy scriptures say that? How many doctrines say that? How many uh, excerpts from the Dead Sea Scrolls say it? And why? Even in your book, how many times has she explained this to him that we don't get it? Let's take a break because I got to tell you, this one line for me, it is the giant golden key to transformative mm -hmm. change. Thanks to my very special guest today. Joining me here, Dina Miriam. When we come back, we have a copy of the book and much more. We'll be back. Your money is your creational energy when you feed your wealth back into what you love. It signals your choices and returns to you. Tune in to Money Momentum with host Karen Baines and learn the truth about the widely misunderstood creative energy that is the cash in your pocket. Realign the things you can't see to get the results you can see. Listen every month for a whole new hour on how to get the money already aligned to who you are. For more information on Karen and Money Momentum, visit soulwhispers.uk. Dream on, lie high, and live adventurously on The Laura Meeks Show. Tune in each month on Transformation Talk Radio as host Laura Meeks guides you in finding your unique gifts and bringing them to life. As a certified life coach, speaker, and veteran bomber pilot for the U.S. Air Force, Laura knows how to follow a dream. 
She is ready to support you so you can dream on, fly high, and live adventurously. For more information on Laura and her work, visit flyhighliving.com. It's time to get your life back on Burn Bright Today with Jennifer Marcinelli. Tune in each month on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Learn to move from the darkness of burning out to the light of burning bright. Jennifer is redefining stress and the energetic causes of burnout, shining a light on process to get your life back. For more information about Jennifer and her work, visit BurnBrightToday.com. To see your life from an angel's perspective, book a personal consultation with Claire Candy Hoff, angelic walk-in angel Ariel at Angel Healing House. Candy provides intuitive counseling, Reiki, and angel readings in person in Los Angeles or nationally and internationally via phone or Skype. She will channel the practical tools you need to transform your life. Call now, 831-277-3716 or visit angelhealinghouse.com. Darcy Pariso is your connection to spirit, energy, and healing. You can meet Darcy in person at upcoming events throughout Seattle. Do you have questions about your animal companions, yourself, or do you desire to communicate with loved ones on the other side? Darcy will connect you and get answers. Darcy can also work with energy healing to help you and your animal companions feel more balanced and recharged. Visit DarcyPariso.com events. The Truth is Funny, Shift Happens with Colette Marie Steffen is excited to welcome Karen Benton as a monthly guest host. Tune in on the third Wednesday of each month at 8 a.m. Pacific time to regain confidence and trust in your capacity to create change in your life, your health, your family, and your well-being. Karen Benton is a mother, nurse practitioner, certified body talk practitioner, Franklin Method instructor, and owner of Limitless Living, LLC. For more information about Karen, visit karenbenton.com. Benny, I love that song. Yeah, you know, it's the intro to uh, She Runs Like the Wind. She does run like the yeah. wind. Yeah. And uh, you you ain't going to catch her. Nope. Nope. It's not going to happen. That's Dina Miriam. You're just not going to catch her. I bet people yeah. have tried to catch her. I bet they try to catch her and they try to catch me. Although Benny has caught me a couple times, so I will give him that credit. <laughs> it's my long legs. It is your long legs. Oh, my gosh. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Um, before I open up the phone lines to really pay it forward and, and give one of our fabulous best listeners on the planet a copy of the book, um, Dina, lots of information. I would love for you to provide information about the Global Peace Initiative, about your books, about you, and then also how people might get involved. Well, um, I also was, you know, uh, had a, had a wake up moment. I was, uh, um, you know, I came, come, had found my my teacher and began practicing meditation when I was very young, at twenty, and I began wow. studying, you know, uh, sacred spiritual texts. And I was married at the time with two young children, and so I spent I spent twenty years. Well, I was really I was married for only twelve years, and then I got divorced, and uh, my kids were still in in elementary school, and I had to work. I went to work um, for my father's PR company as a writer. He had a writing division. So I, I did some journalism. I, I edited some magazines. Um, uh, and, and then when I, my kids got, went off to college and I was more available, um, I, got, I had this opportunity to organize a big religious summit at the UN in the year 2000. 
And I spent two or three years organizing that. And I had a male colleague. And I was, as a writer, very much a behind-the-scenes person, just doing writing uh, uh, and content development. Um, very shy, not interested in public speaking at all. And in the process of organizing this conference, I really put him forward, did all his writing, did, did all the content. I didn't want a speaking engagement, any part of it. Um, but I also noticed the UN kept saying to us, make sure you have women at this gathering, make sure you have women. When we'd go to the religious communities, because it was a big gathering of religious leaders, they would say, well, we don't have women religious leaders. And mm. I was very innocent, and I'd say, well, why not? You know, don't go there. <laughs> told, don't go there. <laughs> so the summit took place, and there were very few women. We ended up bringing in people like Jane Goodall to compensate, because you do need some women, you know. Um, but very few women religious leaders. Um, and we did Nanda Moyama was one of the few. And then... Um, the night before, uh, my father, who was, who was very much a kind of like a mentor for me, uh, said to me, you are going to, it was taking place in the General Assembly Hall of the UN. He said, you're going to open it. I said, no, I'm not. He said, you are. I said, no, I'm not. I said, I'll write the speech, but I'm not going to open it. Anyhow, he made me go out, out there and do the welcoming. There were 1,500 mostly male religious leaders there. And, and at that point, I completely overcame this sense of... Um, uh, lack of confidence, lack of confidence as a woman, really. Yeah. Because there are all these men with big hats and big robes, you know. And uh, the women, the few women that were there were very unhappy. And so we went back to the UN and said, we want to organize a gathering of women spiritual teachers. And they said, fine, go do it in Geneva. Well, the Geneva community was, the religious community was not welcoming. Again, we don't have women leaders. They said, you know, call it something like women, in, women of faith, the women of the faith community. I said, I'm not interested. If I can't do women leaders, I'm not interested. We pulled mm. it off with much difficulty, and it was much more successful than the first summit, which kind of dissipated. And mm. out of this came the Global Peace Initiative of Women. And we started organizing uh, peace. I would bring spiritual leaders to areas of conflict, the Middle East, Iraq, Afghanistan. So initially, it was all women. A group of women spiritual teachers would go to hold the space for dialogue. And then men got interested and men be became part of our network. Now it's really a balance. I really seek gender balance because I realize you can't talk about the sacred feminine energy without talking about the sacred masculine energy. Right. Men, men need this as much to come into their, their higher masculine energy. So, um, so we the, then the, the climate crisis about 10 years ago became top of mind. And so we, we shifted from peace dialogues to really uh, looking at the climate ecological crisis and doing gatherings around that. So we've been recently um, working with a group of young ecologists uh, around the world. We go to different regions of the world and gather them and trying to impress upon them. It's not, it's about a, it's about a, a deep mind shift, not just about, um, you know, carbon reduction or more electric vehicles. It's a deep mind shift that needs to take place. And to me, that's the message that has to be out there. It's So what is that mind shift? I mean, we have to fall in love with the earth again. We have yes. to fall in love with the animal life. We have to fall in love with the, with the seas so that we, wouldn't, we won't harm them. If you're in love with somebody, you don't want to harm them. You think more about their well-being than what you're going to gain. So that's the, the shift from looking at the world as there for our use and abuse to satisfy our needs. How can we serve? How can we serve the world and its needs? 
And so in a nutshell, that's kind of the evolution of my work. And um, my books happened because as I was traveling the world, memories of, of past lives would come to me. People I meet would trigger things. And I began to see patterns. And so I was interested in looking at this whole process of cause and effect. How do these patterns work? And uh, so I, I felt that it also helped me overcome my fear of death, realizing that um, it's just another transition we go through. Uh, and and seeing that that the foundation of it all is love. I mean, what stays up with us when we move on from this body to to another mm-hmm. is the love relationships we have. I mean, love is really uh, a foundational yeah. principle. And I saw in, in this going back and looking at the time of Ram and Sita, which is also a beautiful love story, um, that it was almost an ideal of how. They held each other in such respect and reverence. He understood the work she had to do, and it was different from the work he had to do. He was very focused on on the outer institutions, setting up, you know, uh, uh, um, the the institutions that would be able to uh, advance civilization. She was very focused on on helping the natural world, and 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 supporting the women actually, and doing a lot of the inner work um, that that facilitates the outer work. The work she did by going into Lanka and working with those negative energies enabled Ram to do his out the work that he did in the battle. Um, so, so I saw them actually of equal weight and importance, working hand in hand. So this whole issue of what is the higher feminine, what is the higher masculine energy? Of course, it changes with the times. It used to be that men went into battle and women had a different work to do. Now women can go into battle too. So with the with the shifting of the roles. How do we understand the sacred uh, male and female energy? That's wow. something that's I'm, I'm kind of engaged in that um, reflection now. I, I love that we're talking about this. Uh, and uh, it really points to a couple of things. I've read from the, let's just call it the latter part of your book, about the celestial world being inside. And what I was struck by is, and I read this before the break, you know, what I read was, you know, someone repeating this again, so it's understood. What I love about the untold story, I love about your book, is there are so many places that I had to stop and ask myself, and that was one of them. Do I not get that as well? Do I not know that when things look like they're falling around outside of me, that there's something inside of me that is consistent, that is constant, that is expansive, and that delivers the guidance that I need? And even though intellectually I know it, and I know many people do, I think we forget it. But it's hardest, and I would love for you to comment on this, it's hardest to remember that when life becomes the hardest. And I wanted to say to Benny, Benny, let's go ahead uh, for first caller. I'd love to pay forward a copy of this book. 1-800-930-2819. Say hi to Mr. Benny. Love to give you a copy of this book by Dina. Uh, 1-800-930-2819. I don't know why, Dina, I was struck by that particular part of the book, uh, but it really got my attention. And then I did realize 
gosh, I need to remember that when life is its hardest. Can you share that part of the book and, and the meaning of that with our listeners, please? About the world, the ancestral world? Being yeah, inside. being inside. We can access it. We just have, we have forgotten how to access it. And that's mm-hmm. why the quieting of the mind is so important. Um, because, you know, even when you sit, sit to meditate or sit to quiet your mind, your mind is, it's very hard to quiet it because there are all these things you need to attend to. You're thinking about the work thing you need to do or about a relationship thing or about something that you're wanting. And so it's very hard to, to be able to quiet that so that you can access your spiritual guides, which every human being has, um, those who are, are overseeing your progress and trying to um, help you understand the situations that you face in life. Because everything that we face in life has, has an earlier cause. Nothing is arbitrary. It's, there's an earlier cause. It's like the law of physics, the law of gravity. These are certain things that have the way the physical and mental world up. Um, and so, so how do we deal with these challenges that come to us in life that we don't understand? Because yeah. we can't see the earlier cause. Well, I think if we turn inside, sometimes even if you can't actually remember what it was in the past that created this situation, mm-hmm. uh, you can get a sense of it. You know, you, you can get a sense. Uh, working on my first book, Journey Through Time, when I realized that all my conditions in life had been created by things that happened to me in the past, and that if that were true, that I am at this moment creating my future, moment to moment. And it made me look at my life very differently, as I don't, I don't want to leave anything that needs undone so that I have to tend to it in the future. Relationships that are not working, how can I, how can I put them into a good way so that it's not something that I'll have to attend to in the future? And so it made me live much more consciously, mindfully, you might say. Um, and so accessing, I mean, accessing uh, our, our guides um, helps us, because um, we can call upon them for deeper understanding, understand some of the life challenges that we have. And of course, the deeper one goes, you can experience all kinds of celestial experiences by turning inside. There's nowhere outside to turn. It's all inside because we are the creators of the whole thing. So it's creating, the, it's, it's tapping that, that, that understanding and that creative energy of ourselves. But I want to say something um, about the current world situation. Yeah. Um, because, you know, there was a time when Oh, some months ago, when when I would travel outside of the country and people say, well, what's going on back there? We can't really understand it. What's going on mm-hmm. in America? And I'd say, you really can't see how much we're suffering. Um, why are we suffering? Well, it may be different for everybody. And yes, the economy is doing very good. But why am I suffering? I'm suffering for all the birds that are dying. I'm suffering for the fish, for the oceans that are being destroyed. And as we go around working with young ecologists... We see how many people, it's called, what is it called? It's called, there's a name for it now. Um, uh-huh. it, it's, it's like an earth sorrow. I don't, I, don't, I don't know the exact term that's being used, but a lot of people are feeling this. And the fact that, that, our, that our, our leaders are suppressing so much information and not with us through the suffering. <laughs> They're not accompanying us. And, and sometimes that's all you can do is because what can an individual individual do to turn the tide? Well, there is value in the accompaniment process. A, a lot of species are going extinct. 
which means they won't be seen again on earth. And so that's the suffering that people go through. And the other part of it is the lack of care for human needs, you know, people who, who don't have enough to eat and where there is plenty and, and, and the, the, the deception that's going on and the mind manipulation. These are just different aspects of why I feel this country is going through an intense, an intense suffering. Yeah. It may be internalized and, and people don't realize it, um, but there is a depression that's over the country. But yeah. Yeah. Well, there's research about it now. I mean, uh, I've talked about this uh, quite a bit and I'm actually going to be doing a show about it. Uh, there are actually surveys that have been taken and they're taken every year. Um, they're international. Uh, but we have not shown up in the number one position ever. And I think for the last survey that was done, we showed up in a number one position as the most anxious country. Right. And right. right. Kind of shocking. Yeah. <laughs> it's shocking because, you know, you think, okay, economy is doing great, and yet people are unsettled. Why are they unsettled? Because they know that what we have, the systems in place are not working. The systems in place are just breaking, broken. The justice system, the political system, the economic system. There's so much that's not working because the consciousness is changing. I mean, I think that what I've seen in the last 20 years since I've been working in this field, in the interfaith field, the activist field, is that you can go to any part of the country and you can find yoga centers, you can find meditation centers. People are doing things, not just on the coast as it was 20 years ago, right. it's everywhere in the country. There are podcasts coming from all, all different parts of the country. Yeah. And so yeah. there is an awakening going on it hasn't yet reached the momentum, maybe, where it can really shift things, but that can happen overnight. That can happen like that, where suddenly things shift. And so we're still all, all we're still working toward that moment. But but I you know, and, and it has to be at a deep level, not just a band-aid level. There has to be new a, a new way of looking at our, our our economy. We have to factor in, you know, well being. We have to factor in it's not just how much money is being exchanged, how healthy and happy people. I look at the healthcare system that has ballooned. Why are so many people sick? Why aren't we yeah. talking about what's making people sick instead of how are we going to pay for them once they're sick? Yeah, what's I, making people sick. I, I think uh, the short time that Marianne Williamson had the stage in uh, one of the debates, she made that very clear. Yes. And, 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 yeah. and, and let's just point out to what happened, because this really does talk to the issue that we're, we're referencing. And clearly it's not everything in your book because there's so much more. But, you know, what happened with Marianne during those debates was appalling. You know, yeah. the minute yeah. she would say something, she was easily dismissed. Yet her sound bites have then been also repeated and mimicked along the way. But here's the question I want to ask you, and I know this hour goes by so quickly. There's a message at the end of the book. And it's a message that when we hear the message, we all agree. And yet at the same time, it is the place that we just don't go to. You know, it is the place that is the hardest for any of us to go to. And that's the conversation about love. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
can you talk about what that takes for us to get to that place and yet still be active? See, people think that if you're active slash activist, right, you also can't have the experience of love. And that is so not true. What I found in, you know, when I, in my earlier days when I was an activist, there was a complete separation between the activist and the spiritual world. The activists just thought the spiritual people were useless. And the, the spiritual people, in a way, yes, were just focusing on their own self-development and were not out in the field. That has changed. And we find most of the activists that we work with have some spiritual practice because they know there's burnout and they, they know that anger is not going to give them the results that they need. Anger is going to create burnout. And so when you come from a place of anger, and it's easy to get there. I, I mean, I know that. <laughs> it's easy to be angry about what's taking place. But it's not the way to 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 um, to be the most successful and to and to and to be able to accomplish what you need to accomplish. The most powerful force in the world is love, and how you balance these two. Um, love love makes you want to act, you know, because love. And I find that people who have certain maturity in their spiritual life, it's no longer about oh, let me just go find my own peace. It's about how can I serve, how can I help everybody a little bit more how can i bring the love that i feel into the world so it's about bringing what you've gained into the world for the upliftment of the world and so one of the most positive things that i've seen is this coming together of the spiritual movements and the activist movements and so but there are many ways to be activists you, you don't necessarily have to march those of us who are older may not want to march yeah we can write we can speak we can gather we can we can have many ways to have have, a, have an impact and also my focus has shifted toward those people in their 20s and 30s who are going to be the ones who have to carry the world to the next stage to work with them to to show them the importance of their um, of accessing their spiritual resources however they can do that there are many ways to do that because once you access your spiritual resources, you can be much more powerful force in the world and so you know Everybody has a role to play, and everybody, that's the challenge, is to find how you can contribute to this process. We, we, all, we all have a different, uh, we all have different abilities and, and different callings and different ways to contribute, and I think it takes a long time to find out wh what your particular place is. Um, but but to, to, get, to get there, I think um, accessing your spiritual resources is a tremendous aid. And so that's the work that we do now, helping young people access those. Yeah. And looking at the long arc of things, you know, what happens this week and next week in Washington is not the end of the story. Uh, right. It's, it's a chapter in the story. What happens in November is not the end of the story. You know, many of us may feel depressed at a certain outcome, but we have to remember that, that there's a whole purpose to the whole thing. And I kind of feel that, that the, what we're going through now is showing the cracks in the system, showing where the, how corrupt the system is, and trying to help us come up with a vision for something better. Yeah. I, I, I think we are in a cycle of evolution that has to do with that excerpt I read from the book, right? Yeah. You know, the fact that we have to repeat over and over and over and over again what the lessons of the past are. Because Gloria Steinem once said to me in an interview I did with her a number of years ago, she says, all of us stand on the shoulders of all that have come before. 
And yet at the same time, I'm with you. I think it is time to pass the baton, to educate, to inform, to share yeah. experiences, yeah. because knowledge really is power. And, um, and you know, yeah. an individual to go through growth, you have to look at yourself critically. And you, you, you can't not see your weaknesses. It's not helpful to be blunt. You have to see what your failings are so you can work on them. As a country, we have not gone through that reflection. We haven't looked at, at what, what, where, what our failings are. I mean, for example, I know in this whole situation, I was in Iran a few years ago on an on a interfaith peace mission. And I know that the U.S. took out their democratically elected government and put the Shah in. We have karma there. We, we created some of the situations that have given rise to what's there. Do we walk away and say, Washington, no responsibility? You know, we, we ha in, in Central America, all the violence in Central America, and all the immigrants coming in, migrants trying to come in, we, we were militarily involved. We armed those militias down Yes, there. we did. Americans don't know that. Americans don't know that. We can't blame it, but we have to know that. We have to look at what's been done in our name so that we can understand what's coming back to haunt us now. And right. so I think we need a very deep reflection as a nation, as a collective, on what kind of behavior we don't want to engage in anymore. Oh, I, start. Oh, oh, totally agree. Tina, thank you so much. Please give out your website again. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Well, my website is the Global Peace Initiative of Women, gpiw.org. So it's www.gpiw.org. And uh, I'll soon have a, an author's website just under my name, Dina Miriam. That should be up in a week or so. Thank you so much for today. Thank yeah. Wonderful talk. Thank you so much. For everybody out there, uh, lots in the book to think about. The stories are just amazing. You, you do take us on a journey. And I think each of us do have our own version of an untold story. I hope you let us hear what yours is. Thank you all for tuning us in, turning us on. Benny, thank you for hitting all the right buttons. Dina, thank you for being you. And all of you out there, thank you for being the best listening audience on the planet. Stay tuned, another hour coming up on The Dr. Pat Show. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.